Good morning, church. Please take a seat. And I want to just say welcome. It is so good to see all these faces and all the smiles behind the masks I know that are there. And uh, welcome also to everyone uh, checking in and tuning in on our streaming services on Facebook Live and YouTube. It's great to have you here. And uh, it is, is really nice to have uh, one service here this morning contained and get a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, a larger turnout this morning. I, I'm really pumped about that. Um, Want to let you know, uh, you maybe saw the preview before our worship gathering began, but there will be this year a online uh, vacation Bible school that's coming at the beginning of August. So uh, if you would like to participate in that, um, that's the lady to talk to right there, Stacy. And uh, she has put, a, put this whole thing together, and it's a wonderful way to uh, be able to tune in in a way that is um, really engaging, but also in a socially distanced way, which is kind of that is the order of the day for the season that we're in. So uh, really excited to, to take part in that. So we're going to uh, look into God's Word today, what we do every week. Let's just pray as we do that. Lord, thank you so much for this good morning, and Lord, for your living word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just, um, Lord, just do that work um, as we open up your word, Lord, in, in our hearts. Uh, Lord, show us, point out those places, Lord, that you want to uh, shine your light on. Uh, Lord, those places that you are just calling us, Lord, to, um, to take forward steps in, Lord, to, to move from from, from the shadows into the light, Lord, we pray that your will would be done, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're continuing on in a service that we started, a service in a, in a series that we started a few weeks back over the summer. We're going through the uh, very small book of First John, um, and the series is called Verify, and I kind of like, you know, think of like the uh, security card that you use to get into a uh, you know, a, a place that's locked. And, and in order to access it, you just hit that card and it verifies who you are. Um, and, and this book, 1 John, is sort of a verification card. It kind of verifies, hey, these are some of the defining features of the Christian life. And it's written by the Apostle John, the disciple John, that, that disciple who had a closer relationship, a closer friendship with our Savior Jesus, um, than, than anyone else on, on the earth here. So, um, so we've been looking through these different verification points, clarifying what the Christian life is. And, and the reason for doing that is because there's a lot of counterfeits. Uh, there's a lot of substitutes that are synthetic that aren't um, the real deal. So this morning, as we're continuing in that, we are, we are going to clarify this reality um, that, that through Jesus, we've been made right in order to live right. That's sort of the, 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 the big picture message of what this passage is all about. Jesus has made us right in order that we can live right. And that is to clarify that we have not been made right so that we are, are then given a hall pass to live wrong or to live any way uh, that we want. And so um, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to First uh, John, and we're looking at the very end of uh, chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. 
It starts out and it talks, it says this, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And, and we'll stop right there and just kind of repeat that truth that Jesus has made us right so that we can live right. And, and righteousness, living right, is an inevitable result of doing life with Jesus. And, and, and righteousness is about doing right. It's about living in the right way. It's about having our lives aligned around God's will, around his standards and his ways. And, and that quality of living out a lifestyle that's oriented around what's right is, is a core part of what the Christian life is all about. So, so this was something that the church that John is writing to, um, they were struggling with that. They were confused about that. They were, they were struggling to make sense of how the grace of God is meant to work out in individual people's lives. What does it do? How does it work? And there were those who had been telling them that because God's grace is so great and so amazing, that they were concluding that the way they live doesn't really matter because of God's grace. It isn't, at the end of the day, all that important because they figured that if whatever you do, God's got grace for it, then doesn't that mean that then you can go ahead, I can go ahead, and we can just live any way that we want, righteous, unrighteous, good, bad. It, it doesn't matter because God's got grace for it anyway. Um, you know, some were actually saying that the more out of bounds your lifestyle is, the greater showcase your life becomes to spotlight the amazing grace of God. And that was their justification. Go out and live any way you want because the wilder your lifestyle, the more it's going to show how amazing God's grace is. That, that was the line of reason that they were struggling with. And, and the conclusion they were coming to either way is that how you live doesn't really matter that much. So, so John starts here, and, and he clears up the confusion. His, that's everything he's trying to do here is to clear up that confusion. He, he clarifies, hey, despite any and all rationalizations that you've heard about, the justifications that we hear about, he says, make no mistake. You've been made right to live right. That lifestyle of righteousness is going to be a reality in the authentic Christian life. It may not be in a synthetic Christian life. For the authentic Christian life, righteousness is going to be a core value. And so he starts and he talks about remaining with or, or living life close to Jesus, staying close to Jesus, and that out of that relationship will flow a righteous life. So, so if, if our walk with the Lord isn't impacting the way that we live out our lives. And he says, hey, take note of that. Check something because something has gone wrong. Something is, is askew. That it, it likely means we're wandering instead of remaining. And so the idea is to take intentional action, to stay close to Christ, to stay connected to him, because there's, there's, there's no neutral 
in your walk with the Lord. It's just like any other relationship. You're either moving forward or, or you're moving backwards and drifting apart. And, and relationships are like a car going uphill. If you're driving a car uphill, you know you have to keep your foot on the gas pedal to keep it moving forward. There's, there's no coasting, right? If you don't, if you just kind of let it coast and do nothing, what happens is you're going to end up drifting backwards without any effort at all. That's the, that's, that's the, the default that's going to happen. And that same principle applies to our relationship with Christ. So he says, remain, remain, stay close. That, that, that requires intentionality. It, it, it means taking time to be with him, to hear from him in such a way that, that our lives become the byproduct of that time with him, of our walk with the Lord in such a way that, that, that he says that, hey, when that day comes and, and your faith becomes sight and you see your Savior face to face, that you're going to be looking at the face of your best friend, someone that you've spent your lifetime getting to know, not, not the face of some stranger that you never took the time for. That's, that's the idea. And so in, in the course of, of, of doing life with Jesus, of staying connected to Christ, the one thing that you come to know about him is that Jesus is righteous. Jesus lives a righteous life. It, it, it may, maybe it can go without saying, but, but maybe not. Jesus, Jesus is the embodiment of righteousness. He is the righteous one. And, and so what that means is that there's not a hint of unrighteousness in him. There's, there's not a singular aspect of who he is that's ever been out of sync with the holy standards of God. He, he always does what's right, and he only does what's right. And so as, 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 as we're remaining in him, as we're remaining close to the righteous one, his lifestyle is going to work its way out in our lives as well. It's just the natural outcome of, of doing life with him. Righteousness, it's, it's not what makes us right with God. That happens by grace. But once my life gets connected to him, it's going to be the result. Righteousness is going to be the result. So let me give you a little bit of an illustration. So for those of you who, who know me, um, you know that I have a great affinity for professional cycling professional bike racing. I'm about me and there's one other person here I know who, who cares about such things. There are not a lot of big bike racing fans in our world today. We are a, a strange lot, but, but I, I happen to be one of them. And, and so what that means is that every year in July, about for 25 days in July, the Tour de France comes on. And thanks to modern technology, Every minute of the Tour de France is televised. Isn't that exciting? Oh, man. Um, actually, this year, that's not the case, right? Because of COVID, you know, they're hoping to run it sometime in September. But for those who do life with me, and especially those sitting in the front row here who live under my roof, they basically have no other choice than to get heavy doses of the Tour de France on an annual basis, for better or worse, right? It's, it's just a byproduct of being connected to Brian. And, 
And, and, and, and okay, so just to whet your appetite to get you ready for what's going to happen this year, all right? So this year it's going to be exciting because Chris Froome is back. He was out the last two years, and he's already won the Tour de France four times. So he's going for five, but two of his teammates, one is Egan Burnell and the other one is Grain Thomas, they won the last two years. So you got to tune in this year because it is going to be a big competition. There's going to be a lot of drama. It's going to be so exciting. And if you want to, you can come over and we'll have a watch party. We'll wear our masks, but we'll have a watch party. But you see, Brian is into the Tour de France. And, and here's the thing. Jesus is into righteousness. That's, that's what he's into. That's what he is all about. It's, it's so core to Christ that you can't say that you know him without that righteousness rubbing off and becoming a reality in your life as well. So as, as we remain in Christ, we, we encounter his righteousness. We've been made right to live right. And, and now the passage is going to go on. We're going to keep on reading, and it's going to make the same point, but it's going to do so from a different angle, that, that righteousness is a result of of, of being a part of God's family. So here's what he says as it continues here. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So, so John, like, he starts talking about this idea of spiritual regeneration, of being born again, being born by God. And he starts, he's just unpacking this jaw-dropping, mind-blowing reality, this reality that we've actually been adopted into the family of God as his own redeemed and cherished children. He says, see, see what kind of love the Father's given us that we should be called the children of God. And he says, and that's what we are. There's a version that says, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. And And there is an emotional thrust to that sentence. That verse is meant to hit us on an emotional level. We just can't, like, read that and and breeze past that sentence and keep on reading. It calls us to just stop, pause, ponder, join John in in fathoming that mind-blowing, wondrous reality. What kind of love does that? What kind of love takes broken, flawed, unrighteous, rebellious people like me, living in my own sin, living in my own selfishness, living in, 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 in contrary to God and his ways and his righteous standards, and yet his love made a way for us to be taken from, from the outside to the inside. From, from foreigners to family, from, from enemies to being his, his very own. 
what kind of love does God have that he would actually do something like that? His love is amazing. It's a love that, that took Jesus from heaven, brought him to earth, let him be nailed to the cross to pay the price, to make a way so that, that we can embrace this new reality, embrace this new identity that's ours to grab hold of, that we are God's children. He calls me his child because of his love and, and Jesus' sacrifice. That's, that's amazing. And, and if I could challenge you on something, I, I, I would want to challenge you to apply that term, child of God, the way that the New Testament does, okay? So, so oftentimes, there's, there's ways that we talk about everyone's a child of God, and we talk about it in very big picture, worldwide, generic ways, and there's a time and a place for that, but in Scripture, in this passage, throughout the New Testament, that term, child of God, that's reserved for those who have been redeemed, for the redeemed Christ follower, those who have trusted in Jesus. You see, no one is born into God's family. We are, we're all reborn into God's family through the amazing love of God. John chapter 1 says that to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but, but born of God. If you've believed in his name, that's, that's your status. That's you, child of God. Take that. Embrace that glory in that. He says that's what we are right now, and, and the point is for us to live in that identity, to live in that reality, to be who he has already made us to be. And the family that we've been brought into, the name that we bear, is it's a righteous name. It's a righteous family. Your identity as a child of God is is righteous. So, so live out what he's already made you to be. He's made you right to, to live right. And so he's not saying, you know, you were once bad, now be good. Like, you know, be good boys and girls. It's not about morality. It's about identity. It's li- this is who you are. Live out that. You're, you're, a, you're a cherished part of God's family. And that means that resemblance is it's going to show up. It's got to show up. It's like, you know, there's some, there's some very unique McIntyre attributes, you know, whatever the particular DNA that goes into being a McIntyre, there's freckles and, and there's eyes and there's contour of the faces. And, and I hear all the time, you look just like your father. And my kids hear that all the time. Your kids look just like you. And I say, I am so sorry. I apologize. I, I can't help it. Thank God they got their mom's musical ability and her good looks. But uh, I can't do anything about this. This is just, this is just who I am. Um, but, uh, but that family likeness is going to show up when you're connected to God's family. Those family resemblance are going to show you're going to look like your father. You're going to look 
like Jesus, your life is going to bear a resemblance. A transformed life that takes on the likeness of Jesus is going to take shape in God's redeemed children. And, and it's a lifelong process. It's not like this instant kind of thing that happens. It doesn't finish, he actually says, until we see the Lord face to face. And he says, you know, on that day when that happens and we're going to see him as he is, and, and that's when it's going to all be over. We're going to be completely like Jesus. That's, that's that sense of glorification. And, and, and on that day when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be transformed into something that right now we don't even have the vocabulary to actually describe it. We can't even in our minds fathom it. And we don't know, but it's going to be good. But, but right now, the question is, does the way I live my life matter? It does, because you're a child of God. You're connected to Christ. You are going to show the family resemblance. One last way here we're going to look at that, that John, again, addresses this same issue. You have been made right to live right, and it comes back to what Jesus came to do. So let's, let's keep on reading. It says this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either, either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All right, there's a lot to unpack there, but it's starting out, it talks about this issue of lawfulness or lawlessness. It talks about this, this reorientation about how God's people approach God's standards or God's laws. He says, everyone who makes a, a practice of sinning, he says, practices lawlessness. So he puts it in this legal category that, you know, there are the commandments. We talk about the Ten Commandments, um, God's laws, and John basically equates sinning to law-breaking. That's, that's what it is. And then he says, this is the reason Jesus came, the heart of why Jesus left heaven and came to earth to accomplish. He says he came to take away sin. He came to put an end to that law-breaking. He came to pay the price and take away that lawlessness that we call sin. So, so what that means is if we adopt an attitude for our lives that says, laws don't matter. They, they don't apply. What God's commandments, that's a non-issue. I, I am free to do whatever I want, and the way that I live doesn't matter. Then what he's saying is we will end up living our lives and end up doing the very opposite of what Jesus came here to deal with. And it basically says something's, something's wrong with that. So, 
There's like a jersey that you're wearing. If you're on Jesus' team, if you're on Team Jesus, you can't be wearing the Jesus jersey and, and make your life about doing the opposite of what your hero came to accomplish. You know, he, he didn't come to enable us to sin. He didn't come to free us to sin. He came to free us from sin, to take it away. And, and the team is about, that, that's about enabling sin. He says, that's, that's team Satan. You know, and, and again, he makes the point that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so the kind of lives that we're living, he says, make sure that they align with the team that you're on. So the question becomes then, what is my attitude? What is my orientation when it comes to the issues of law-breaking, of sin? That's, that's what's in here. That's what verse 6 is all about. And, and if it's okay with you, I just want to take a minute to unpack this kind of carefully. Um, it says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That can be a scary verse to read. That verse has actually split churches. It has created denominations. And so we have to work through that very carefully. What, what is the expectation? Let me, let me say what it doesn't mean, first of all. The expectation set on the life of the believer is not sinless perfection. It's not like Jesus forgives us, and then from that point forward, we better not mess things up again or else we're out. It can kind of read that way, but why, why can we say that? The reason why we could say that is that we've, we've been working through this book of 1 John. We've already, we haven't come to chapter 3 before we went to chapter 1. You remember chapter 1? There's some things about forgiveness, about sin, about the reality that if anyone says they have no sin, John already said they're a liar. And he said, when we sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So we have to interpret chapter 3 in light of chapter 1, right? Um, Jesus is our advocate, and we need that. So, so we can take that off the table. The expectation is not sinless perfection. You know, I, Jesus cleans the board, the chalkboard, and don't you dare mess that up again or else you're out. What then does it mean? What is this getting at? It means that, let me suggest three things. Number one, it means that there is no space in the Christian life for tolerating sin. We don't put up with what's wrong. That's not, that's not a place for, for anything in the Christian life. That's not what grace is about. It also means there's, there's no rationale for blowing off sinful actions and attitudes as something that's not a big deal. When they show up, they need to get dealt with, not blown off. That's, that's not what grace is about. And, and it means that there's no space for, for making a habit, for practicing on a continual basis the very things that Jesus came in our world to resolve and to take away. That's that's out of line. That's out of sync for the team that you're on. Um, that doesn't reflect God's righteous family. The, 
that ongoing enabling and, and making a practice of something over the course of time, that's what this is addressing. Don't do that. There's no space. Make no space in your life for that kind of thing because here's the reality. Jesus came to take the garbage out. And once the garbage is taken out, don't tolerate trash in your life anymore. Make your life on building up righteousness. Orient your life around doing what's right. It talks about the root of righteousness, that God's seed is in you, that it resides in you, and that seed needs some tending. It needs some watering. It needs some cultivating, and we can build our lives in Him, and over the course of time, we start to reflect the righteousness of our Heavenly Father. Not, not overnight, but never so long as we're tolerating garbage. So take the trash out whenever it shows up. It's going to show up. Take it up. Don't let it build up. And do whatever you can to let those roots of righteousness run deep and sink into your life. See, the way you live matters, child of God. You have been made right to live right. If your life has been wrapped up together with Jesus, righteousness is the result. That's what the Holy Spirit is in the process of building up in our lives, and we get the opportunity to cooperate with it. And you know what? It's good. It's good. There's no missing out. It's all good. So let me close with this. this. This passage is intended both to affirm and it's also intended to challenge. What this is not intended to is to make us fearful, to create doubt, and to make us live in insecurity. It's the exact opposite. It's saying this is who you are. The whole orientation of 1 John is that this is who you are. So embrace it fully if you've given your life to Christ because here's the reality, that in the course of doing life with Christ, God wants us to be confident in where we are with him. We need assurance of faith. We need to be reassured of our faith that, 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 that we're not like insecure in our salvation. And assurance and confidence is something that sometimes that can be shaken. Sometimes we can get to these places where we're just like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. And John says, this is where assurance comes from. You've been made right to live right. Align your life in that way. Live out that life of righteousness. It starts, it starts with clearly understanding that the way you live matters. We don't blow that issue off. We don't blow over lifestyle questions. It's no big deal. Because today, in your life, in my life, there are still those voices whispering in our ears that are rolling their eyes about these things. Yeah, right. Yes, all these people making a big deal about sin and the way that you live. They don't understand God's grace. They're legalists. They're old-fashioned. They don't know what's going on. Shut them down. Shut them down. Don't listen to those. As a child of God, you are destined to reflect his righteousness. 
And you know what? It's a high call. But there's nothing that God calls us to that he doesn't also empower us to live out. This is not something we can do in our own strength and power. We're not intended to. This is the cooperative work of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And that's the beautiful thing about grace. Grace is there to forgive us at those times when we need it. But grace is also empowering. It gives, God gives us the grace to live the life that he calls us to. And we can live as a result with hope, with confidence, and security. And that's what he wants. Let's pray together. Lord.